Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. Walk with us. Grab your syllabus. Grab your syllabus. And if you've got it, if you don't have it, it's right up here. We're going to just repeat our community creed. We are going to just read this out loud. The purpose of reading this out loud is so we can get in our spirit that this semester that we can get something from this that we have practiced ourselves. Because how many of you know so many times we just come to church to listen and then we leave. But when you participate, there is something about the atmosphere that becomes electrifying. And if you believe this, uh, these lessons this semester, this is going to help you. So on the count of three, let's just read this together. One, two, three. I was not created to live isolated. I was created for community. The church isn't just a building I go to. It is a family I belong to. We are called to love, encourage, and lift up each other as we do life together. God is pleased by our unity and love for one another. It is Jesus that brings us together and binds us together. Say it with me loud. We are the church. We are the church. We're going to be talking about the DNA of community, and we're going to be talking about keeping it simple in, in, in a subtitle for today's message. But this overall summary talks about the church. The church didn't live in isolation. They did live in isolation according to the tyranny of the government that they were under. But as a community, they stayed together. And the church isn't just a building. We know it's a group of people. And so when we look at the church and we come together, the scripture says that God is pleased with that, and there he commands a blessing. So we're going to go ahead and read Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 46 is just one verse, but turn with me there in your Bibles, if you will. And Acts chapter 2, verse 46, we are taking this chapter and we are analyzing it verse by verse with the intent to gather all that we can about community and how the first church did it, the early church. And when you read Acts chapter 2, verse 46, it says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Everyone say they went to church every day. Now don't worry, we're not going to have church every day. You can have church every day. That's wonderful. We want you to have church every day. But they spent their time in prayer together. And that's why they went to church, to pray together. The church is really meant to to be there for each other. When you read the book and the scripture, when I say the book, there's only one book I'm talking about. It is the Bible. And when you read the Bible, the church came together, and they came together, prayed together, and they stayed together. And so it says... So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Today we're going to be talking about keeping it simple. Life can be very complicated. Life can be very overwhelming. And it's the burdens and the anxiety and the worries and the concerns and the responsibilities that overwhelm us that almost paralyzes us sometimes where we don't move we don't do much we don't we don't engage we don't fulfill the calling in our life 
but God wants to work in our lives. God wants to move in our lives. God wants to do something good. So will you pray today, ask God to just, just touch this one more time. Will you just repeat after me, Lord Jesus, bless this message. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap because he's so worthy. You can be seated. God bless you. I want you to be attentive. I don't want to be too long. God does want to speak to us today. I felt it in the worship. God confirmed it during worship. There is so much to do in our, in our time, and we do live in a very, very exciting time. How many of you would agree with that? So many opportunities for the church to shine. About two years ago or so, I was sitting in the office, our marketing office, and I was in a meeting with a marketing director who was in charge of a number of dealerships, car dealerships in Texas. And we were talking about the strategy of how we could help his business, and we were there for discussion. They were asking for advice. They were asking us how we could help them and what the strategy was. And, and so we began to do that. Then all of a sudden, he just popped off and showed us the stats and, and showed us that in his dealership, their dealerships, they were selling a particular model vehicle and had no idea why it was selling so well. And so we, we looked at that and, and, and analyzed it a little bit, looked at the market, and then we found something really interesting. And this was the model that was being sold. And it began to just grow and grow and go. They, and they kept wondering what's going on. These weren't vans that had seats in them for, for 15 passenger vans. They were just cargo vans. Come to find out what happened was there was a movement that had begun in the, two, in, in, in the two, 217 or 215 or somewhere around there that this generation had caught on to the simplicity of life and was so overwhelmed with their, with their bills and their debts. And some people just said, I'm going to sell everything I've got and I'm going to move into this van. And I'm going to show you something. Instagram... Uh, began to do a survey of all the hashtags under van life. And it had grown from 2017 to 220 by 312% posts in the last three years from this two time frames. It had gone from 200,000 posts to 700,000 posts. And it was growing. Finally, we told the owner and told the, the marketing director, um, here's what you're seeing. People are living the van life right now. They're selling their homes. They are doing it all over the nation. Here are the top areas that it's being done. Uh, number one is California. Uh, you know, Florida's in there. Uh, almost every state is in there. Almost every state. Texas is in there. People have became so overwhelmed by life, they're trying to simplify it. In the world that we're living in right now, this doesn't surprise me, and it shouldn't surprise you. We are not condoning 
the act of selling all you have and live in a van. If that's what you want to do, quite honestly, I think it's super cool, but I'm not going to do it because I like having a shower at my disposal, a hot shower. <laughs> I like having that much room in my bed. And God has blessed us, hasn't he? If you have air conditioning in your home, I know we've said this before, it's too cliche in a sense, but, you know, you are blessed to what we have. And really, that's the biggest challenge. Thank you so much. That is the biggest challenge we have in America is that we have way too many choices, way too many choices. And, and so when you look at the early church, I want you to identify with three things that they did, three things they did. It was very simple. They they worshiped together is what the scripture says. They ate together and then they shared their food. They didn't say anything else in there about their job, their occupation, anything else. What it said was they had three things that were a priority in their community. But one of them was praying together. They came together. Another, trans another translation and another uh, later on in another portion of the same book uh, the doctor, Dr. Luke, he said that, and they sold their possessions. We, we talked about this last week or the week before. They sold their possessions and distributed to all those who had need. So when you look at this semester so far and everything that we've learned, we've learned that the early church were given to generosity and they did, they did prefer their brothers. And, though, and sisters, and those that had an abundance, they would distribute and give to the church because they had plenty. And those that did not have plenty, they helped supply the need. That was their mentality. That was generosity that they had. Totally different time, totally different culture, a totally different era. But I thought to myself, what if the Bible was written during our time? What if the Bible was actually written and it commentated and there was a commentary about our culture and our day. I, I think it would sound something like this. They went to church once a week, sometime twice, and something didn't go because of a virus. And others, they didn't have enough time. No miracles were done because they were content with the current condition and the government was meeting their needs. They didn't eat together because no one could agree on the same restaurant. Some wanted Italian, others wanted Chinese. Others were mad because they weren't invited. <laughs> Leftovers didn't go home because they were too full and besides they threw away the leftovers. But some took it home to the chickens. <laughs> Little plug-in for Riverside Community Co-op, but <laughs> you see the problem here you see the difference there is a big difference now God has really blessed us we really have literally I, I look at it as America no matter how much drama is happening right now we are living in a promised land we really are we're living in abundance life has become too complicated because life has given us too many choices Life has given us so many options. People have options now. Back then, they did not have an option. They did not have outlets. All they had was Jesus. And they needed him. They desired him. 
I believe that God blesses a people because they put him first. But I also believe that with those blessings, God encourages us with instruction and gives us direction to keep us in that favorable disposition called grace. We have a positive posture as a Christian nowadays because we understand that we have been bought by the blood and we can hold our head up high, we can roll our shoulders back, we can still walk with a skip in our step simply because we know we've been forgiven. Aren't you grateful for the grace and the love and the mercy of Almighty God in our life? God has been so good to us. But I think this life should come with warning. And, and the, the Word of God gives us perfect instruction. When you look at Israel, God even warned them and told them in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 12. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 12 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. He was telling them this because they would one day enter into a land where there were many false gods and paganistic worship, and they would have to stay centered in understanding that he is one God, he is their God, and they should only worship him. And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and you shall have them as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So it shall be. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which he has swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you, you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. That's called favor. When you have eaten and you are full, beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. We come to church on a weekly basis together to remind us that we're not and we have not been saved and we're not an island. But when God saved us, he saved us within a community of believers. There is strength and encouragement when you come to church. When you come to church, there is a corporate anointing that happens in the atmosphere when we lift up our hands, when we sing the same songs, when we are in agreement together. Communities were made. Communities were born out of adversity. Communities were formed out of the blessings. God says, I'm bringing you into a new land, but I'm giving you all the blessings. The challenge was is that there were many inhabitants, right? They went into the land at one point, and they scouted it out and sent the spies. Ten of them saw giants. Two of them saw the size of the grapes and the sweet honey. 
Two of them saw just the honey and the grapes, and the other one saw the ones who owned them, owned the bees and owned the cows. But through perspective and through God's promises, they obtained those promises, and Joshua and Caleb rose to the occasion, Joshua leading them. And they all were focused on one thing, the promise of God. But God said, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to bless you. It is God's will for us to be blessed. But it is also our responsibility to only have one God, one Savior, one Lord. Idolatry is what it's taught. Idolatry is what it's talking about. And so whenever we face life, there are some steps to take to simplify our life. Because a complicated life simply means we have more than one option. We have many options. And we take things for granted and we overlook the blessings of God and the privileges that God has given us. I'm going to give you just two points to tell and show you how you can keep life simple and principles that will help you not walk in anxiety and worry and burdens all the time, but to walk free and live in the liberty. And the first point I want to give to you is this, that in order to live a simple life, you cannot take worshiping together for granted. The early church did not take it for granted, but they, were, they took advantage of it. They said, we want to have church every day, and the temple was open. And they went to the temple every day to pray together. Everyone say together. No, we're not going to be opening the church every day again. But what we want to do is encourage everybody to come back to church again. We want to encourage everybody that can and who will to believe that God is going to strengthen you and help you during this season. There is common sense and there is a safety approach. And we're going to be dealing with this. And you'll see an announcement by us come on social media to talk to you about how we're going to handle this next phase in Texas and our approach to it. But one thing is for sure, and one thing will never change, that we are going to focus on the one thing, and that is worshiping God in spirit and truth and liberty and our religious freedoms and, and taking advantage of it. Coming to God's house is a privilege and a blessing. Coming to God's house, being able to worship Jesus is a privilege and a blessing. Living in America is a privilege and a blessing. Living in Victoria, Texas is a privilege and a blessing. To be here, I mean, you, gotta, you have to have some prior knowledge before you step into God's house and know that there are countries, there are places that do not allow public worship, do not allow congregating together. Uh, but, but church, I'm going to tell you, even after this pandemic, did it bring a sense of appreciation to you that coming together was a blessing after you've missed church for a while? And, and we understand, we completely understand, everyone has their reasons, and we know why. But in our hearts, we know that we can't forsake the assembling of ourselves, and we cannot stop, we cannot go to church. Does that make, is that right? Yeah, anyhow. Brain fog. But you understand what I'm saying. We can't forget about where we came from. What, come, what brings us to church is that we remember that this is where we were born again. This is where we were given life. This is where we had an encounter with God, and you can't forget where you came from. 
You can't forget where you came from. The church is here to help you grow spiritually and to mature Christians. The church isn't here to entertain us. The church is here to entertain the presence of God. The church isn't here to spoil us, but the church is here to project us into our destiny and help us grow, grow spiritually, consistently, persistently in this world against all opposition, against the culture. Together, we develop when we are in complete agreement of what we value and who we worship. And every time we come into this house and we feel his presence, there is something that shifts in our thinking. How many times have we stepped in the presence of God, burdened, and left feeling free without the burdens? How many times have we stepped into God's house when we did not feel like being here but we knew that our flesh was weak, but our spirit was so hungry for the presence of God that by the time you left the building, you said to yourself, I'm so glad I went to church. I am so glad I stepped into God's house. There's a reason why David wrote in the Psalm 122, and he said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Write this down in your notes. Psalms 122 was a psalm that David had written. It was a psalm of the psalmist who was singing the praises of going into God's house and going to Jerusalem. Later you'll find out that that refrain of what he said, I was glad when they said unto us, let us go. When they said unto me, let us go. I want you to recognize the emphasis on that was not, I was glad when they said to me, alone but he said i was glad when they said unto us let us go together togetherness so it wasn't just being in god's house alone it was being in god's house together that brought a refresh a refreshing experience into the life of david being around other believers, being there with the community, being there where he could pray with others, he could worship together, he would be in agreement because there was a lot of enemies that David had. There was a lot of opposition that he faced. But when he went to God's house, there was common ground. There were people there to do only one thing, and that was worship Almighty God. There were people there that had the intent to let God be sovereign in their life and do whatever he may do to make them better, to strengthen them. Charles, Charles Spurgeon, a, a great orator and, and teacher and theologian of history, writes a commentary about this chapter. I mean, when he, David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of, Lord, of the Lord, he began to commentate and say that good children are pleased to go home. And glad to hear their brothers and sisters call them closer. David's heart was in the worship of God. And he delighted when he found others inviting him to go where his desires had always gone back to God's house. It's in God's house where you have experiences that make a difference in your life. I've had experiences throughout my life that were landmarks in my heart to remind me who God was. And most of them happened in the house of God. 
I've been discouraged in my life, I know, many times. And all I would say to myself, if I can just make it to church, everything's going to be okay. How many of you have ever said that before? If I can just make it to the house of God, I know I can leave there refreshed, encouraged, and my perception of my problems will become minute and small when I have the position of a son of God being seated with him in heavenly places. Perspective. Charles Spurgeon began to write even more, and he said he delighted to go someplace. He always, with people that invited him, where he always longed to be. He said the word was not go, but let us go together. To dwell among friends, to be there. Coming to church on a regular basis helps you remember what's important in life. Coming to church together reminds you that there is a heaven, and this is just a portion of it, an earnest inheritance of the future to come. And when we go from this life to the next, it reminds us that we're not going to be greeted by things, but people. We're not going to be greeted with your favorite couch. You're not going to be greeted with your favorite car, with your beautiful home, with that attire that you have, with all that closet. God isn't going to, closet of clothes. God isn't going to say, here, this way, I brought your clothes for you. I got your car over there. We're not bringing any of that stuff with us when we leave this world. But there's going to be your loved ones there, your family there. And they're going to say, come on in. Let us go into God's presence together. Someone say, let us go. But say, right, not right now. <laughs> Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. <laughs> That's all that matters. That's all that really matters. The early church got it. The early church understood it. The early church had a good perception. That's why they were able to take what they had an abundance of, sowed it into the church, because they were investing in lives. A community of believers are meant to stay together, to be strong, to stay united together. But a, 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 a people of the same value, a people with the same principles, people that believe in God, people who worship God together, there's something about that. The old saying that goes, the family that prays together stays together. The family that fasts together lasts together. And the family that is humble will never stumble. That goes to an individual as well, but it also goes to a corporate group of believers. And we stay together. We're here for one another. That's why I'm excited about this Riverside Community Co-op that we're launching. Very excited about that. That's why we're excited this semester to announce that, you know, we have crews. We have small groups that are here for you that are you can be involved with. I, I've been hearing some great reports on the couples small group as well, and I've been hearing some good reports about the other groups that are going. And you have opportunities to come together, to not feel isolated. If anyone feels lonely, it's, it's not because there aren't opportunities, but we choose the wrong ones. And then we choose the wrong group of people. I feel to say this very much. I didn't feel this in the first service, but I feel it right here to tell somebody that sometimes it's, it's not you. Sometimes it's your company 
Sometimes it's the people that you have chosen to be in your circle that bring you down sometimes, that bring, that discourage you, that brings and opens gates of, of condemnation and guilt and shame and things that cause you to, to stumble. And sometimes you have to reevaluate who you hang around. One author said this before, one leader wrote and said, I can tell you your future by looking at who you hang around with, by looking at who you hang around with. My brother always told me, he's my, my oldest brother. I lost my dad when I was very young, and, and I had an older brother, but my older brother told me, he said, boy, he said, remember, he said, if you hang out with flowers, you're going to come out smelling like roses. I knew what he meant. He said, you better be careful who you hang around with because that's how people are going to identify you with. Then I learned something a little bit deeper. But that wasn't the way it was with Jesus. And I started to question, well, if Jesus hung out with sinners and me, don't I need to do the same thing? Well, let's address that because this is something for this service. First of all, you're not Jesus. Jesus was without sin. And Jesus had one motive, to see souls saved but he did not become like sinners to win sinners he was among them to teach them and influence them but once they rejected him he did not keep on casting his pearls he walked away he even told the disciples at one point and this may sound contradictory to the scripture but we're not talking about family we're talking about associates and friends i don't know who i'm talking to but Jesus even said to the disciples, when you walk into a city and they reject you, then you just dust your pants off and move on. And it's okay. Move on to the next, to whosoever will. You, you'll never be able to win the world, but here's what you can do. You can influence your loved ones. You can reach your family. You can reach those that are close to you, that people that trust you. But you have to be the one that's influencing them, them not influencing you. And God designed us to be part of a community where it is safe to drop your guard. It is safe to let the walls come down. This is a safe place. You have to remember, point number two, that when you worship God through generosity, it allows the walls that you have up to come down. Generosity flows from the heart that trusts. When you don't trust, when you're hesitant, you have walls that are up. You put up walls. You're hesitant. When you are hurt in your life, you clam up. You won't share the love of God. You won't share the goodness of God. You won't bless anybody else because you've been hurt more than once. But can I just simply encourage you and tell you, not every church is bad. Not every pastor is bad. Not every, every group of people are bad. But you will, and, and here's the reality, you will be hurt. You will be taken advantage of. You will find people that really aren't true, maybe. But it doesn't matter because if you learn this, if you learn that even your enemies can catapult you to your destiny and make you a better person, but no one can ever take away the love of God in your life. No one can ever take away your faith in God. God has never done anything wrong to us. 
Look at Jesus. Jesus was betrayed. Jesus was left alone and isolated. Jesus was approached by Judas, and he looked at Judas while Judas gave the sign to those that were going to arrest him, and Judas kissed Jesus on the cheek, but Jesus looked at him and said, hey, friend. And then he looked at Peter and said, Satan, get behind me. Why? Because there are people, even though they don't agree with you, they may give you a hard time, but have you ever thought that those are the people that are going to help you grow and mature and pray like you need to pray? And I call them sandpaper people because they're there to knock the rough edges off of you and hone you and help you be what you need to be. I, I, not everybody likes me, and I'm good with that. Not everybody's going to agree with me, but I'm good with that. But doesn't mean that I have to be mean to everybody. It doesn't mean I have to stop preaching. If I preach a bad sermon, doesn't mean I'm not called to preach. Failures in our life and people that disagree are learned, are lessons learned that grow us and to help us be what God's called us to be. My point is, again, point number two, the early church understood generosity. But when you have walls, you can't be generous. Greed and fear and anxiety gets the best of you. We have a, if it were, a, a vetting process that we have in our lives that if a certain person has to qualify for us to love them. A certain person has to qualify in order for us to bless them as an individual. On an individual basis, the scripture actually tells us that we're to love our enemies and pray for them that despitefully use us, which is very hard to do. But when you have the love of God, the genuine love of God in your life, you'll learn to pray for those that don't like you, to bless those that don't agree with you, to smile at them that have been talking about you. To look at them. That was for you, Sensei. <laughs> to look at you and to look at them in the eye and say, no matter what you've said, no matter what you've done, I love you. I love you. The opposite of trust is fear. The early church did not fear people. They feared God. They trusted God. They trusted God. When you live in fear, your treasure becomes your taskmaster. When you live in fear, your money, your talent, your treasure, your time, everything rules over you. And it becomes your God rather by being led by the Spirit of God where the Lord can use you through generosity. I have been in competition with God for over 20 years, I have, and I'm losing very badly because I have never been able to outgive God. I am a loser. I want to remain last when it comes to outgiving God. That's right. I can go on further, but I really want to build on this just for one moment. There's nothing wrong with having things. There is something wrong with those things having you. The early church knew this. 
They knew this. Luke chapter 12, verse 31 and 35 in the NLT. Listen to what it says. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And he will give you everything you need. Remember, the needs. He has everything. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. Now, it's not saying sell all your possessions. It just says sell your possessions. And I believe it's actually trying to say in the scripture, really those things you don't need but have. Stop hoarding. Now, don't look at me crazy now. Didn't realize we, there were some among us, didn't realize that. Just playing with you. I can be a hoarder, but God's help working on me. Look at my backyard. I got a backyard full of pallets right now, but working on that co-op right now. Thinking about you. I'm doing it for you. <laughs> he said, sell your possessions, give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. Everyone say store up. Store Listen up. to this. And the purses of heaven will never get old and develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning. For the Lord comes, it says. It goes on further. Talk about the coming of the Lord. But now, now here it is right here. Here it is. Recognize in this portion of Scripture, it says that you will have stored up for you. In other words, it says a purse. Now, in our culture, we understand that only most women have purses, uh, right? We know this in our culture. Okay, and everyone's afraid to be politically incorrect right now. <laughs> women have purses, am I right? Okay, thank you. Well, men... No, I'm just gonna, <laughs> And, and this custom in the Bible days had purses too, okay? But they were like pouches. Oh, my God. So, so you have, and I'm not trying to stand for a movement right now. But I have to tell you that it reflects on one thing. God says, in heaven, you have an account. In heaven, you have your own account. Now, if you can just imagine this. God says, when you do give in this world, in the next world, not only are you going to be a recipient of the things you've done now, but you can make a withdrawal from heaven, and God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. But see, we bypass that part. Here's how it goes. I don't have a slide, but I want to show you. It goes like this. God is here to supply the needs here this is good god is here to fill up my account i am here and god uses the channel for the account that i have saved up i can make a withdrawal according to the needs that i've got because the scripture says that the law of the harvest is we reap what we sow but god says in this account you store up for yourself treasures that the moths can't eat that the robber can't steal but god said if you seek me first i'll just keep on filling up your account and i'll just keep on you keep on making withdrawals 
What most people deal with in their life is they've never made deposits. And they're wondering why they're not blessed. There is a route that God has chosen called benevolence and giving. And the early church understood this, and they made it through their time. They made it through their challenges. They made it through the tyranny of Rome. They made it through religious persecution. They made it through uh, violence, the, the lion's dens. They made it through. Because they were generous in their own right, and everybody has their own lane. There are people that do it different ways. But when we are generous towards a community, and we are generous coming together, and we are blessing our community, God says, I, I love that. That's what my heart is, that you bless each other, that you help each other, that you're there for each other, that there's unity there, and I'll command a blessing where there's unity, but I've called you to be the light to a dark world, not keep the light to yourself. I blessed you to be a blessing, not just to make you bloated, as Caleb would say, right, son? <laughs> I blessed you, blessed you, because I saw you and I can trust you. This is what God was telling Israel. I'm going to bless you, but be careful you forget where you came from. See, we're living in the promised land, but the promises are there. But the problem is there's other gods here too, and we have too many options, too many gods. And he, he reminded them and told them, remember, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, me alone, and remember where you came from. And don't shut up your bowels of compassion. Don't live in fear, and don't. Learn how to make a contribution. Learn how to supply the needs. You want to know if you ever looked at someone that is blessed? Never judge them by saying they were just lucky. I do not believe in luck. Even with people that aren't living for God like you are, I do not believe that most of the time it's because of luck. It is hard work. It is good ethics. It is faith. But not every blessing comes from the Lord because the blessings of God come without a curse, what the scripture says. The blessings of God come into your life because God can trust you. God couldn't trust Joseph when he was young. He was too proud and he was overly zealous. He told everyone about his future and Gave his dreams away and started bragging about it. He provoked his brothers to jealousy, and they threw him in the pit. But after the, the process of the pit, the prison, and Potiphar's house, and Pharaoh, God says, he's ready now. Now he, he knows how to be humble. He knows how to, to I'm going to put an abundance of responsibility on him and give him access to the whole land. But he's ready for it. He's waited his whole life for this. And in this moment, he's going to save not just one generation, but many generations through his stewardship, learning where to give, how to save, what to do. 
and he had a purpose in his life. It was to give. But it wasn't his money, it was Pharaoh's. Isn't that funny? But in our life, it's Jesus, not the devil. There are some people that are under another form of influence that aren't doing things in an honest manner. And you can't be jealous about that and look at them and, 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 and compare yourself with them. In fact, the book of Psalms says, don't fret against evildoers. David said, I've seen the end result of that, but I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of God. And we went there, he understood the end thereof, and that was the fact that when God's people do something and he blesses them, that no one can take their blessing away from them. That the evil, he said, or the iniquitous people, those type of people that are selfish, he said, they fall and they stumble, there's no one there to help them up. But in God's kingdom, He's your security. He's your provider. He is everything to you. And if you happen to fall, it's okay. God will pick you back up. And if God wants to, he, he may not do it through his, he, he won't do it through his own being per se. He's giving you faith inside of you, but he works through people. And when you fall, there's a brother or sister to help you back up. How many of you have ever been blessed by brothers and sisters in the church? I mean, helped. Like, really, they saved your bacon. I mean, you understand what I'm talking about? I've had church family come into my life at dire moments in my life when we lacked something, needed something, and I prayed for God to bless me. And I have to tell you, never, ever have I ever seen God's blessings just fall out of the sky. It always went through people who had an account with heaven that were already giving, that were faithful, that were losers because they were out trying to outgive God, but God used somebody who was being Willing was willing to be used and bless their community. That's where I've been blessed in my life through you all. It didn't come overnight. Oh, I've gone over. Can I share a story with you really quickly? Are y'all okay? Raise your hand if you're okay with that. Those of you online, too bad. <laughs> if you've been with us this long, you're going to be all right. <laughs> when, we, when we first started this church, um, I didn't just, we didn't just as a family say, oh, my God, I, oh, we can speak, we can talk, we can teach, we're charismatic, we, we got charisma, we have influence, I got a beautiful wife. I, you know, I, I didn't use any of those things to qualify me to start a church. When God called us to this church, I waited for a year to ever step out by faith to confirm what I had been feeling. For a year. And I waited and I said, God, if you have called, if this is you, I need you to confirm it. And I prayed this. And throughout a duration of time, God did that exactly. I would go out of town to, and to a conference full of people and then the preacher would pull me out of a crowd and say, God's called you to start that church in your city. Don't second guess it. And I said, okay. And we did. And for the first three years, I said to my wife, it was going to be four years, actually. I wanted to go five. But for the first three years, I did not take a salary. We did not get paid for anything. We put it all into the church. And I've got to tell you, had I taken a salary, 
the church would not be here. We may not have been here. But I think about all the things that I could have done as well. Because the flesh would go, you could have paid off your house, you big dummy. You could have paid off all your vehicles. You could have had excellent credit by now. You could have done this. You could have done that. Now, don't judge me. I'm not saying I have bad credit. I'm just saying that you understand. No one. I mean, if you've got an 800 score, come to me. I want to know how you did it. I mean, kudos to you, man. That's awesome. But three years, and I was going into my fourth year to do this. And out of nowhere, God tells me, time for you to walk away from your job. Time for you to step up by faith. And my words to God was, I didn't save up for this moment. I've not been taking anything. I, I don't even know if we can do it. I, I, I don't know, God. The church is growing, but I don't know. And I didn't have faith. And I waited. And I stalled. And I made excuses. But then the day came, God said, it's either now or never. I said, all right, I'm doing it. I went to my boss, told him my, my last, I gave him my two weeks, I'm, I'm moving on. And, and I felt God begin to tell me everything's going to be okay. I went to a conference that year, and I was standing, and I decided to go up to the front after the altar call. And I went to the altar call up there, and I was praying and said, God, uh, what did I just do? What just happened? And the speaker came right to me. The guy who was preaching came to me and said, right now, it is the time for you to leave your job and to go full time. God is going to take care of you. God is going to supply your needs. God is going to make sure that you're never without. God is going to make sure that I take, listen, he was going to take care of every one of my desires and needs for my family. I wasn't concerned about my life. I wasn't concerned about anything else but my family. And then God gave me the secret and told me, if I'll take care of his family, he'll take care of my family. Remember that. If you take care of God's business, he'll take care of your business. It's the way it works. You see, that deposit is being made. But you have to let go of the fear, let go of the anxiety, let go of the what ifs, and you have to begin to trust him have to begin to trust him. Matthew 6, 24, I'm coming to a close. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to the one or despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Cannot. Here's the conclusion for today, and I want you to write this down. Life becomes simpler living for God. Every time we come together, we're inspired to really understand what really matters in life what is this all about you'll understand it once you're in his presence and you feel the love of God and you're surrounded by people who love him too and you start to recognize I'm not the only one that believes this I am among believers and I must step out by faith would you like a weekly challenge Here's a challenge for you. Give where it hurts and watch God heal your... Now you fill in the blank. What is it in your life you need God to heal you of? Give where it hurts and watch God heal your 
finances, your family, your relationships, your career. Let go of the greed. Stop withholding back your giftings. It's time to step into ministry. It's time to step into your calling. And stop worrying about how you're going to juggle the schedule. God will make room for it. God will take care of it. He is the best time management boss you could ever have in your life. Is that the right word? He is so good at stretching your time. He is so good at saving you time. When you put him first in any area of your life, you're going to find out that God reciprocates everything. And God will put back into you. I have always been blessed when I have blessed my community. I have always been blessed when I give to my church. I have always been blessed when I put others in front of myself. And there's never been a time where God hasn't blessed me and given me things that I desired. I didn't have to work so hard for because I worked hard on taking care of his business. I focus all my time now taking care of his community, taking care of his children, taking care of this church. And I've learned that when I do that, God will help me with mine. It's so easy. It's time to trust him. Will you stand to your feet? Ha. I, now I feel the Holy Ghost. It's fixing to come. I feel the Holy Ghost. And I, I, I just know that God wants to talk already. He's confirmed it already. But if you will, all over the place. Don't sing yet. Keep on playing. Play that prophetic feel. And I want you just to begin to just lift up your voice right now. Come on, let's pray together. Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Talk to us, Jesus. Talk, Master. Have your way. Just pure worship right now. Just pure worship. Come on, lift up your voices. Lift up your voices in fervency. Thank Him for that word. That was a word for us today. Thank you, dear Lord. Hallelujah. No more worries, no more concerns, Lord. We're going to sell out to you. We're going to give you everything. We're going to just trust you, Father. This is safe. This is safe, God. This is a safe place. This is a good community. This is good ground. It's your, it's, your, it's your purpose, God. It's your plan. It's your house. It's your family. We're just here, God, to serve you. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. 
For more information about who we are, visit riversidechurchtx.com.